What's up, Liberty Lovers? Today's show is sponsored by our friends at Ammo.com. There's nothing more American than ordering a stockpile of ammunition and having delivered right to your doorstep. But you know what? It gets even better than that. Not only does Ammo.com deliver sweet, beautiful packages of ammunition right to your door, they're also run by libertarians. In fact, you can read an awesome article on their site right now that I've linked to on the show notes page called Locked Up, How the Modern Prison Industrial Complex Puts So Many Americans in Jail. And you know what? It gets even better than that. When you buy at Ammo.com, 1% of every single sale, that's gross sale, not net, goes to a libertarian cause of your choosing that you get to pick at checkout. And the best part, the kicker, through the link ammo.com slash Lions of Liberty, you get $20 off your order of 200 or more. So support this show, help to spread the ideas of liberty, and buy some ammo to defend your personal liberty. Bam! Welcome to Felony Friday a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another episode of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is one of three shows that we have here on Lions of Liberty. We kick off every single week. On Monday, with a show hosted by Mark Clare, it's our longest-running program and our flagship program. On that show, Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement, and he hosts roundtable discussions. Now, those roundtable discussions, which we call Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor, previously they had been mostly limited to Mark's show, but with our new format starting in March... You're going to be able to hear that show, that format, that roundtable format on each of our shows. So you hear it on Mark's show. You'll hear it on our Wednesday show, Electric Liberty Land, hosted by Brian McWilliams, which is your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. And you'll hear it on this show, Felony Friday, probably in the format of an Is It a Crime roundtable. It could be fellow Lions of Liberty sitting around the table talking about the criminal justice system, enjoying a, a couple beverages. It could be people from outside the Lions of Liberty, maybe people in the Liberty Movement, maybe some criminal justice activists um, talking about things that are happening while they enjoy a beverage of their choice. So look forward to that. That is going to start in March. So you will get three episodes every month in that roundtable libertarians in living rooms drinking liquor format. I'm really looking forward to it. You guys are going to love it. Today's show, Felony Friday, I got a great guest for you. But before I introduce my guest, I just want to remind you the show notes page where you can find all about my guests. You can find the article we're going to talk about. It's going to be linked on the show notes page. You go to lionsofliberty.com slash FF163 because this is episode 163 of Felony Friday. And also, I forgot to say before, if you like this show, if you like all of our shows, subscribe. Please go to wherever you get your podcast. You know, I people who listen to this show typically listen to a lot of podcasts. So go on your podcast catcher and hit that subscribe button. Pound that button. What are you waiting for? Do it. And today's guest, great guest today. This is going to be an uh, an awesome, you know, this is really today's topic 
I think it's it's misunderstood for sure in society, and it's one of the topics that really only libertarians get right. But it's it's still very important to talk about, and a story like today's I think highlights uh, gives good ammunition for libertarians to share with their friends about really just how egregious um, government overreach with good intentions can really damage innocent people who are just going about their daily lives. So today's guest is Elizabeth Nolan Brown. Elizabeth is the associate editor at Reason Magazine. She writes regularly on the intersections of sex, speech, tech, crime, politics, panic, and civil liberties. She's also the co-founder of the libertarian feminist group called Feminists for Liberty. Uh, Since starting at Reason in 2014, Brown has won multiple awards for writing on the U.S. government's war on sex. She's a graduate of American University, where she received her M.A. in Strategic Communications, and also of Ohio University, where she received a BFA in theater. Elizabeth, welcome to Felony Friday. Thanks for having me on. Well, thanks for coming on the show, and I reached out to you a couple weeks ago, uh, one of your articles on Reason.com that I read uh, titled, Are You a Woman Traveling Alone? Marriott Might Be Watching You. And you know, if that title doesn't get you to read the article, <laughs> I'm not sure what will. So, so good job with that. But you know, I definitely want to dig into that and everything behind that because I think it's pretty interesting and pretty scary at the same time, obviously. But before we do that, um, just so my audience can, can get to know you and get to know really what makes you tick, um, if you could just share what you know, what sparked that, what ignited that flame within you to get you to really pursue the ideas of liberty and to want to write about things like this? Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, when I, I've always been very interested in politics I mean, broadly speaking, you know, and um, when I was in high school, I, I guess I thought I was a Democrat, but I thought I was too liberal for the Democrats because I like didn't agree with them on this was, this was the nineties. Um, revealing my age because, uh, you know, I did agree with them on things like the drug war and foreign policy and uh, marriage equality and things like that. And I didn't really think about economic issues and I didn't know what libertarianism was. So I kind of just went through college thinking I didn't have a a political sort of, um, you know, tribe or anything at all. And um, right out of college, I was just starting my job, my first job at a newspaper. And I went to an IHS uh, Institute for Humane Studies seminar they put on um, seminars for students and recent graduates like, and teach them just sort of basic principles about classical liberalism and libertarianism. And I um, got a, you know, they gave us a free subscription to Reason Magazine there. I just, uh, I, I got a sort of crash course in libertarianism in a week. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is actually what I am. Like, this is what I've been thinking all along. There's actually a sort of, you know, a coherent philosophy around this, sort of way that I've, I've thought about politics and didn't know that there was a way for. So, um, since then, I mean, yeah, I, I realized as a libertarian, I, uh, that, that, co- that conference I went to was in DC and I really kind of decided I wanted to come here and be involved in professional, uh, liberty movement things here. And that was a long time ago. That was 2005, but, um, finally, in, and I was in DC and I was doing things adjacent to it, but finally in 2014, I started at Reason Magazine. So I've been there for about five years now, and um, I was really excited to get a start working there because it's just been sort of a long time 
dream of mine to be able to, yeah, to be one of the biggest, you know, only libertarian publications. So, so yeah, as, as, as a libertarian, so you were a libertarian before the, the Ron Paul moment that yeah. did bring in a lot like of people. So what was it like for you to sort of see that change? Because obviously the movement's, it hasn't blown up as much as we would like it to, obviously, but I think it's grown quite a bit since probably you were first exposed to the ideas. Yeah, no, that's really interesting because I feel like everyone just a little bit younger than me, when I would talk to them, they would be like, oh, I got involved because of the Ron Paul movement. And then usually because of student groups like Students for Liberty or Young Americans for Liberty, none of which were uh, around when I was in college. Um, so, but I was, I was here in DC and I knew a lot of people from like Reason and Cato, and this is going to maybe make me sound like the kind of libertarian that some people, uh, outside of DC hate, but I think I, <laughs> you know, I was, I, I was here until 2009 and I was really sort of not, not very much in touch with the, I, I knew about it, but I wasn't very much in touch with the Ron Paul sort of movement. But then when I came back here at Reason and all of the people around me, yeah, like I said, who were, who were just a little bit younger, they were all like, this is how I got involved in the movement. So it was really interesting to hear about their perspectives. Well, that's really cool. And then, so how did you get into to writing? You said you started at Reason in 2015. Were you writing for other outlets prior to that? Yeah, uh, 2014. I, yeah, 2014. So I started right out of, um, I started right out of college. I was at a newspaper. And actually when I, just to, I promise this will be a quick, but I, I, after I went to the IHS seminar here, I actually thought I wanted to get out of journal. I'd only been at a newspaper for a year. And I was like, I'm going to come here and I'm going to go to grad school and I'm going to get, get into PR. And I came here for a year program and I went to grad school and I was like, this is terrible. I don't want to do that at all. So, uh, but this was right in the recession and the only journalism job I could find and, and the best paying one was at the AARP. Um, the old folks, you know, retired folks, uh, they would not appreciate me saying that the retired folks association. And, um, so I ended up working there for five years. It was actually a very great place to work. I don't mean to disparage it, but it was just not really in line with my politics. So that was sort of interesting. And then I, um, spent a few years doing sort of health and nutrition blogging. Okay. And then I started at Reason. But the thing is that on the side, as I was doing all these other projects, like all these, you know, my professional journalism was not involved in libertarian things. I also did a lot of freelancing and just blogging on my own and sort of keeping my foot involved, my foot in with the with the liberty sort of writing and stuff like that too. So that when I did apply for Reason, I actually had clips that were sort of relevant and stuff. Like I had been talking about this all along, just not exactly in the uh, usual spaces where you would expect to find it. Right. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's hard to find paying gigs to, to write about Liberty, to, to podcast about Liberty. But I mean, I've, I've been podcasting for God, about two, three years and we have a Patreon group and we get money that way, but I haven't, you know, we haven't actually made any money per se. We pour, pour everything back into the podcast, but uh, yeah, so it's, there's only a couple outlets, obviously with reason being one of them that actually, uh, you know, make money so you can actually pay some contributors and, and that type of stuff. So it's not easy. Yeah, it's actually gotten worse. I feel like, I mean, there were more, but you know, 10 years ago and it's yeah, obviously gotten, it's harder. I think even for younger people today trying to break in. So. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about this article a little bit. And yeah. I guess if you can start out just by sharing, um, you know, where did the idea for this come from? Um, I know it looks like it started out on Twitter, right? There was a conversation back and forth. So, yeah, what? Just take us through that story. How this uh, how this article came to fruition? Yeah. So the most approximate cause is that you know Marriott Hotels, which has you know hotels all around the world, they've just been 
they say they were putting a big, um, you know, a press release out and everything saying, we're training all of our staff worldwide to spot the signs of human trafficking. And so they were getting a lot of good, just sort of glowing puff pieces about this. And then someone said, like, you know, I know someone who went through this and they're training people to, like, you know, track single women who are traveling alone, track people, women who are at bars, spot an escort. And the Marriott official Twitter account responded, you are correct. Mm. Um, We've all been trained to stop sex trafficking. So sort of, you know, saying that staff have been trained to sort of view single women at bars or whatever in Marriott hotels as being either sex workers or sex trafficking victims. Now, Marriott later said, they deleted the tweet and said, no, we didn't mean that. But, um, you know, I was very, I, I picked up on this because I've been sort of following uh, the blue campaign, which is a Homeland Security thing, and Marriott's efforts in, in this are, they're not the only hotel, it's a lot of hotels, and it's not just because they were like, we're going to do this out of the goodness of our hearts, it's because they've been facing a lot of pressure from Homeland Security to do this sort of thing. So, so what is, you mentioned the blue campaign, can you just expand on what that is? Yeah, so I mean, just, yeah, let me back up one second and just say, you know, obviously, sure. no one supports sex trafficking, and um, corporations, you know, doing stuff with doing what they can to try and avoid it. That's great. But this is a really misguided attempt. Some of the things they sort of say in their training that they're looking for aside from single women is, you know, they have, you know, people who are fatigued, people who look sleep deprived, which is a lot of travelers, um, mm-hmm. people who look like they're wearing not as nice clothes as they should be for the hotel, people um, who uh, have too many condoms in their room. So it's just a lot of things that are just very... Oh, so they're, they're actually looking through people's rooms. Yeah, uh, they're, they're giving this training to all of their staff. So it's like they give different training to different parts of the staff, but so the, um, you know, maid staff or the room staff get, get us trained that says, you know, look for too many condoms, look for too many devices, too many digital devices, which we've got so many people say, you know, like, what if I'm a business traveler and I have my work and personal computer and, you know, Cooper and stuff, you know, right. so it's just a lot of weird things and yeah, not, not necessarily signs of trafficking at all. And really sort of based a lot of times on sort of stereotypical, uh, understandings of things. And, okay, and so that is, that's the Marriott training, but um, it's part of a wider thing called the Blue Campaign, which is this Homeland Security thing that has been going on since 2010, but they've been ramping up efforts, and they are trying to train hospitality staff, so hotels and things like that, but also um, airline staff, airport staff, truckers, and all sorts of people about allegedly spotting the signs of sex trafficking, but it's... um, Based on sort of old war on terror tactics, they mm-hmm. uh, DHS actually bought the slogan from New York City, their post 9-11 slogan, if you see something, say something. They bought that slogan, and that's what they're sort of using in this campaign. And their thing, if they say, if you see something, they don't say report it to your local police or whatever. They say, report it to this tip line that goes straight to ICE. So... <laughs> yeah, so it's um, that's so that's, that's also a little suspect. <clears throat> so I've, I mean, the one thing that sticks out to me in all of this, there has been a very distinct and intentional shift from ref- referring to, um, you know, prostitution from changing that and calling it lumping it in with sex trafficking. You almost never hear the words prostitution. You know, the prostitution ring bust. Everything is now sex trafficking. So is does the root of that come from this this blue campaign? Is that is is that where it started or? Uh, no, I mean, but you're right that that is the case. The blue campaign is really just an expression of that. This has been a thing that's sort of been building since the early 2000s. 
but sort of really, yeah, started uh, around 2010 or maybe a few years before that really started taking off. And I just really think the past few years has just totally taken over. But um, it was definitely an intentional goal. There's like documents like showing this where um, sort of an unholy coalition of um, the Christian right and the sort of radical feminists left that are very the anti-sex work feminists and they sort of combined just after they were done with the porn um, legislation that they've been working on to say, all right, our next big thing is we want to, you know, eradicate prostitution, but people don't like that. So we're going to frame it as sex trafficking. And I think that was almost 20 years ago now, but it's taken that long, but it's almost completely taken over. Cause like you said, you look at newspaper articles, you look at, you know, um, government press releases, you look at pretty much anything and they just use the terms interchangeably, which is just, maddening yeah i mean it it takes when you think of sex trafficking sex trafficking you think of someone who is doing it against their will they're being forced into it they're being coerced into it in some way um that's i mean there's women out there who are doing it voluntarily it's it's what they want to do it's completely consensual consensual on on both ends so it seems i don't know it it seems to lump these women who are doing it in a consensual manner um, without under threat of violence in with a, a I, I don't consider that to be an issue, to be a problem. I mean, no. that's, what, that's what they want to do. And it lumps it in with a, a real problem. People who are right. being kidnapped and sex trafficked and just really awful, terrible stuff. You know, children are, are being, it's just across the board, horrible stuff. So it makes it hard to distinguish between the two. It makes it hard to really eradicate the really the really bad things that you want to end. Right. And I mean, so A, that that's deliberate, right? I mean, that's because, like you said, like most people aren't against consensual adult prostitution. But in order to sort of the groups, some groups want to are against it. So they, you know, they wanted to conflate them. And I think a lot of government agencies have seen that it's very useful to latch onto that and that they can pretty much get away with doing anything just like they used to be able to do last decade with terrorism or, you know, throughout the past few decades with war on drugs, they can kind of get away with any sort of civil liberties abuses, any bad policing, any, any of this crazy stuff. If they just sort of say, Oh, we're doing it to fight sex trafficking. And like you said, um, yeah, it's both bad because obviously there are a lot of sex workers who are, you know, adults doing this willingly who are both stigmatized even more and, you know, persecuted by the cops and things like that and a lot of government agencies because of this conflation. And also it stops us from actually being able to focus on finding people who are actually being exploited and coerced and things like that. And because, yeah, we are devoting so much money, almost all of our money that is being spent from at all levels from like charities and from government on allegedly stopping sex trafficking is actually just going to policing adult prostitution. Yeah, it's definitely not a good thing. And I'm curious, so who who is paying these hotels to do this training? Because I know hotels obviously are not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. I'm, I would assume they're not, unless they're being forced to. Is DHS kicking in money for, for them to train their staff? So here's the thing, like, you know, for Marriott, it's a very good corporate response, corporate social responsibility is what they keep throwing that term around. It's like that it's initiative like that, like it obviously makes gets them a lot of good PR. Um, also, s- hotels are facing increasing liability for any sort of prostitution taking place on their premises, um, both from governments and from lawsuits. There have been a few sort of starting to test out. Uh, lawsuits where people can say, oh, well, like I was, you know, this illegal activity happened on your premises, so then I'm going to sue for it. 
there's even been like, I was looking in like hotel insurance risk management things and they're starting to warn their clients about this because it's a, it's a new trend in sort of the ambulance chasing lawyers. So I think that. So who, who would be this, the suing party there? Who would be suing the hotel? People who allege that they were sex trafficked at the hotel, which, but so by, I mean, by a lot of, which pretty much could just mean under our current definitions, any sort of prostitution. Um, and so, yeah, so you have them wanting to protect against that. So that I think also provides an incentive. Um, some states like Connecticut have actually mandated it. It's the law now that hotels have to do it. So I don't, you know, too bad who pays for it, I guess. Um, they have to because the government says so. And um, also DHS kicks in a lot of funds to these nonprofits that sort of serve as intermediaries with some of the uh, private companies. So DHS funds these n- big nonprofits with a ton of millions of dollars each year, and then they provide the training to the hotels. So what... I mean, what should the ordinary person do knowing this, that hotels are actively snooping on them, um, looking to find out if they are a, a sex worker or, or being sex trafficked? What, what, can, what can people do to avoid it? Do we have to, do, do women have to put on some sort of front that they're, <laughs> do they have to have their guard up when they go to the hotel bar? They have to dress a certain way. So it's, I mean, it's yeah, insanity. I mean- I think like everything else in this front, right? Like it's probably not going to affect most of us for the vast majority of people. It's just going to be fine either because most staff are going to not say anything or because most, you know, a lot of people are in categories that don't just get stereotyped as easily as sex workers or sex traffickers. But I think that you're obviously going to have some, some groups who are going to be falling pretty harder, right? Like there's, there's actually like a lot of explicitly, uh, anti uh, stuff in these things saying like look out for asian women more or less so i think you know you're gonna have that you know like asian women young asian women who are traveling especially with like white partners or something like that are gonna have trouble um you know just you know minorities in general lower class people who are you know not dressed as well like they say as they think people in general um trans people people who are just gender non-conforming i think anybody who's outside the norm anybody who might generally face stereotyping of the sort is gonna is gonna be you know more in danger and also like so far we've seen last week Sydney McCain reported someone on these premises that she thought was a trafficker because the mom was a different ethnicity than the child that's literally what she said she was like well they were a different ethnicity I, I knew something was up what? Um, yeah it's crazy and you've seen a couple of high profile cases like I'll come back to the second one but um of that on, on airlines too where it's always been an interracial couple or an interracial family so I think and especially if the dad, if there's a dad there with like a teenage daughter or something too. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's certain, there's certain people who, you know, are, this is going to end up winding up with a lot of harassment for, and I don't know how they can stop it, unfortunately. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's, it's interesting because DHS, uh, the TSA, doesn't the T, is it the TSA tries not to, uh, you know, single people out based on race or ethnicity or nationality. At least they, they say that openly, right? But then this other program, the Blue Campaign under DHS also, is doing that openly. Right, because they say, you know, well, this is an alleged sign of sex trafficking, though. So they, you know, yeah, so they sort of justify it in that, in that way. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I was, I was talking to someone about this earlier this week, too, and I think people, she was like, but what, okay, but so what are the real signs? What, are, what can we really know to stop sex trafficking in public? And I'm like, I think the thing you need to know is that you're not really going to just see it 
in public. Like as much as that's the whole premise of these crazy campaigns, because they want everyone to be sort of spying on their fellow citizens and reporting things to ICE and, and DHS. But I mean, what, what really is the case more often is not these sort of crazy situations where someone is outright abducted and then held against their will and they need someone to rescue them. It's more things where people are in these bad circumstances where they don't really have any other options. And so sometimes they get caught up in, in exploitative situations that they can't get out of. You know, like we see so many times it's like runaway teenagers, often from foster care, who go everywhere else to go. You see it's people who are in domestic violence situations or who are um, have drug problems or things like that. So it's, I mean, or it's immigrants who they're being coerced because they're now undocumented, they've overstayed their visas and someone has control over them that way. It's things like that. And so what these people need isn't, you know, random people in public to stop and, and spot them. It's more support for, like, the services that can help them get out of this, which is the stuff we're not funding. We're funding stings. We're funding cops. We're funding these crazy spying programs, but we're not funding things like shelters and, you know, programs that actually help with material needs and education and training and things that could actually make a difference in people's lives, I think. Yeah, these people need help. And rather than really as a society, and I'm not even talking about through a government program. But but I mean, anyway, you can help. Yeah, but, yeah. And, through charity or churches or whatever to, to help the most vulnerable in society. But I'm kind of curious to get your opinion on just society in general right now, which you have people making these reports at hotels or in airports or whatever. And it seems like just across the board, even like in neighborhoods, neighbors are so quick. If they hear someone playing their music too loud, they'll call the police. If they see something suspicious. Or something. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah exactly. Sales, you hear all these. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, how how um, really positive are you about the future prospects of liberty right now in this country? With We see so much evidence around us all the time of people that just are so quick to, to go to the authority, to tell on someone, to tell on their neighbor, tell on somebody who's supposed to be their friend um, who's living amongst them, rather than just go talk to them. Yeah. I mean, I think it's part of because, you know, we all are more sort of isolated from our neighbors than before. We move a lot more. So it's like people don't trust their community members as much. And so they, yeah, they want to call it an outside authority. But I also think that it's not, I mean, that, that's definitely something people who do it are, are, are responsible for or their own actions. But I feel like, you know, there's so many campaigns at the government level and at, at you know, in other interests that are sort of invested in keeping people fearful like this because, you know, yeah, of all the great things that we could do if we were just sort of, you know, doing voluntary efforts together and not having to go to the government or some sort of benevolent, you know, charity funded by the government or whatever for things, if we were just sort of doing community action, like, that sort of cuts out the need for a lot of these programs that have built up, you know, millions and billions of dollars in funding to, to keep existing and keep perpetuating their existence. So I think what we see with the Blue Campaign and a lot of things like this is, yeah, like, sort of concerted efforts to keep people afraid so that they're not working on how they can help people at the local level. They're, they're instead, you know, reporting yeah. their neighbor to ICE. Yeah, well, that's how that's how the government keeps their power and uh, keeps everyone afraid and separated and arguing with each other. And, and the show goes on, I guess. But uh, Elizabeth, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. I want to give you an opportunity now to tell people where they can find your work, where they can uh, learn more about you and just, just plug anything that you're working on. Yeah, uh, you should visit reason.com. That's where uh, I'm an associate editor. You should find me on Twitter at E.N. Brown. And I'm also the president of a libertarian feminist group called Feminists for Liberty. We're just getting on our feet. So 
you should find us at feministforliberty.com or on Twitter at Feminist Liberty. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you very much for having me. Are you tired of banging your head against the proverbial wall of politics and getting nowhere toward actually making your life more free? Are you tired of interview podcasts that have the same guests as every other libertarian interview podcast out there? Are you tired of hearing the same news stories that you can hear on the mainstream media? Then you need to listen to The Lava Flow, where we don't do politics and we don't do the major stories that exist only to divide you. We talk about news that affects you and your freedom, and we work to find solutions that can actually help you to be more free. Check us out at thelavaflow.com. Listen to We Are Libertarians at WeAreLibertarians.com. My name is Chris Spengel, and I host a show where we talk about the stories you and your friends are talking about, and then we give you libertarian solutions so you sound smarter when you're talking to your friends. We're going to make you sound like a genius. Tune in now at WeAreLibertarians.com. Are those dry, boring, run-of-the-mill political talk shows putting you to sleep on your commute or at work? Are you ready for some fun? Look no further, Blast Off with Johnny Rocket is a Seattle-based podcast expressing viewpoints of free markets, voluntary exchange, badass music, wicked banner, and of course, drinking. The Blast Off doesn't shy from the truth, but always brings the party. Let's rock and roll, Raylene. Bring it on, Johnny. You can check us out at thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash Blast Off. Again, that's thelaunchpadmedia.com forward slash Blast Off. Launchpad Media. Always launching ideas in your direction. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode of Felony Friday with Elizabeth Nolan Brown. Really enjoyed getting to talk with Elizabeth, getting to talk about her journey to liberty and about this very, very important subject. And I want to encourage you. I think this is a great a great topic, a great subject to share with your non-libertarian friends. Um, anytime there's government overreach that is so obviously absurd as, the, uh, as Homeland Security instructing hotels to watch single women or women who are with... Uh, women who are alone, men who are with younger women, possibly their daughter, especially they highlight if they're a different race. This is profiling. This is so out of bounds. And if people on the left especially are not sympathetic to this, then I don't know what to tell you. So share it up. And I appreciate uh, you guys watching, of course. And as always, guys, we appreciate our Patreons, the people who are... I say our Patreons, our patrons who support us through Patreon. And if you want to join, if you want to help out, if you want to pitch us 5, 10, 15 bucks a month, you can go to lionsofliberty.com slash Patreon. There's a bunch of perks we give you. I won't go through them here. You guys probably, if you're listening to this show, you can probably read. So you can read it on the website right there. And uh, that's it. I'm going to keep it short today. Appreciate you all listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning. <laughs>